This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Disability Pride Month is celebrated in July. It's an opportunity for people with disabilities to seek affirmation, build community, and raise the visibility of disability issues. But some people with disabilities say that it might be worthwhile to be a little skeptical of Disability Pride Month. After all, disabilities aren't really all that rare. Think about Canada. At least one in five Canadians has some kind of a disability. Most people probably know someone who has a disability. Nor does disability discrimination happen just one month out of the year. So is there an alternative to Disability Pride Month, and do we need to start thinking about it? Today, we discuss whether Disability Pride Month is necessary. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Chuita Gupta. We've had a couple of shows about Disability Pride Month. If you've been listening to the program, we had Anthony Frasina on the program a few shows ago, and he made a case for why Disability Pride Month is a route to revolution for people with disabilities, that it's a good thing. But of course, there isn't unanimous consent on this idea around Disability Pride Month. And as with most things, we like to debate amongst ourselves in the disability community and have different takes on an idea or a concept. My guest today says that Disability Pride Month isn't really for him. Ed Tobias is an MS patient communicator and columnist for Multiple Sclerosis News today. He has worked in the media for over four decades, and he is the author of We're Not Drunk, We Have MS, a toolkit for people living with multiple sclerosis. He joins us today from the suburbs of Washington. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse. It's good to have you on the program. Thank you very much. So your article says July is Disability Pride Month, but it's not for me. Why is it not for you? I think there are better ways of... um making disabilities, whether a disability as a general disability or specifically my MS, uh, than having a month or a week or a day. If you take a look, you'll see that in May, for example, May was the awareness month for arthritis, hepatitis, asthma, celiac disease, osteoporosis, high blood pressure, stroke, and skin cancer. And there are a few others in there. And there are weeks uh, for these diseases. There are days for these diseases. Uh, For some reason in New York City, uh, they decided that they would uh, have a disability pride week as well as month. Um, Disability pride day, as far as I can determine, began in 1990 uh, in Boston with a parade to make disabilities, make people with disabilities more visible. Mm. And that's fine. Uh, Let's do a parade. Let's make ourselves visible. But we don't have to do it every month or every week or every day. There There are better ways 
to uh, make people with disabilities or make non-disabled people aware that there are people with disabilities and that we're no different um, than, than anyone else. I mean, multiple sclerosis is a good example of a disability that can be invisible. For many years, someone with MS can have the symptoms of fatigue, which may not be readily visible, can have the symptoms of uh, vision problems, can have pain people don't see. And so there is a need uh, to get out into the community uh, with our own disability and make people aware of it. But to have a month for it every year, um, competing with half a dozen other disabilities or more, just doesn't make sense to me. How many people do you know who knew that May was asthma month or osteoporosis month? Uh, it's, it's not the way to go. Do you think part of your concern might be that for people without disabilities, if they celebrate Disability Pride Month, then it almost allows them to be, dare I say it, complacent for the rest of the year, that for 11 months out of 12, they don't really need to then think about disability issues at all? That's, that's part of it. Um, but if you're talking about someone without a disability, I don't think they're even aware of, uh, of a month being called Disability Awareness Month. I mean, when they had the parade in Boston in 1990, I'm sure there was news media coverage. But have you seen any news media coverage of disability, traditional news media coverage of mm -hmm. Disability Pride Month or of any of the uh, Illness Pride Month? I haven't. And I look at a lot of news. For a lot of people with disabilities, um, there's a lot of isolation. I think you'd agree. A lot of people are cut off from their communities. Could something like Disability Pride Month maybe serve an emotional need for people to to connect with other people, to feel a sense of belonging, to have a community that they can they can coalesce around, even if it's for just one month out of the year? Do you think it, it might be helpful in that respect? There are better ways of doing that too. There are groups uh, representing all of the disabilities. Uh, most of these national groups have local chapters. Here in the States, it's usually on a, on a state basis. Um, in Canada, it may be uh, on a provincial uh, basis. Uh, and there, people with similar disabilities can gather and share and see what others are doing uh, and to create a sense of pride uh, within themselves. Uh, but again, that's a physical gathering. Uh, these days with COVID, it's probably being done to some extent virtually with Zoom meetings. Um, and that is useful. Um, saying, just hanging up uh, a banner and saying, this month, we're going to take pride in our disability uh, doesn't work for me, nor does, in fact, taking pride in having a disability. I'm not mm -hmm. proud that I'm disabled. I am proud at how I handle that disability. 
And that's something that's internal to me. I have that self-pride and I don't have to go around boasting. So Ed, let me ask you about the, the word pride a little bit. That's something that people with disabilities have been very intentional about reclaiming pride, saying that we want to celebrate our disabilities and saying that uh, we want to uh, acknowledge that we live in an inaccessible world and we and and so there should be a reason for celebration. If we don't think about it in terms of disability pride, can you offer a concept that might work a little better? Disability advocacy. Mm. Um, I, I, through the writing that I do and through um, occasional interviews uh, with people like you, uh, I try and advocate. Uh, I try and express what it's like to live with my particular disability. Uh, I try and encourage uh, people with MS to uh, get out and, and be all that they can be. I have been fortunate in having been able to uh, travel throughout the United States, uh, both for work and for pleasure uh, over many years and uh, travel to uh, many parts of the world as well. Um, I try and provide uh, both through uh, my web writing and through the book that I wrote suggestions of how to better live with this disease. Um, you know, people say, uh, how is your battle with MS going? Well, I'm not battling my MS, I'm living with it. And that's the mindset that I try and create. So again, it's not a, a month where I feel obligated to do this, it's every day that I try and share my pride on a one-to-one -one basis um, with other people, uh, both who are disabled and those who, uh, who are able-bodied. In your article that talks about this, there's a really great quote that says, you know, I, I've often been said that, you know, you're fighting with your MS, but we don't really fight, that we occasionally arm wrestle. I thought that was a really, really good quote as we wrap up our conversation about Disability Pride Month, we'll talk after the break a little bit about some of your other work. But just as we head towards our break, in thinking about Disability Pride Month, would you say that we need to modify it, do away with it, find an alternative to it? What needs to replace Disability Pride Month for, some, for people who might want to see something uh, instead of having no acknowledgement whatsoever? I think that um, some media skills can be put to use. There is a documentary movie called Crip Camp, C-R-I-P Camp, uh, that's available on YouTube. And uh, it runs about uh, 20 to 30 minutes. It was filmed at a, um, an overnight camp, a summer type camp that you might send a child to. But this is a camp filled with people with disabilities. Uh, and it gave me such a connection to my own disability, some of which I had uh, ignored, that it was well worth watching. If we in the disability community can produce products like Crip Camp to show the people what we're all about, 
I think that would go a lot further than uh, just calling a day or a week or a month a disability celebration. I'm Juita Gupta, and with me today is Ed Tobias, who is a columnist, has four decades of experience working in the media, and is an author of a book. And we've been spending the first half of our program talking about whether Disability Pride Month is necessary. But let's shift gears a little bit. Ed, you've done a lot of work over the years, and a lot of that work has now more recently culminated in your writing for MS News Today, and you you keep a regular column. Tell us a little bit about your column. What is it that you're trying to accomplish with that? I'm trying to help someone who has MS or someone who lives with or works with someone with MS understand more about the disease. Uh, As I mentioned uh, in the first half of the program, MS is considered um, an invisible disease. Um, I've lived with MS since 1980. And for the first 20 years or so, I would think, uh, you would hardly know that I had any kind of a disability. I walked pretty well. Um, I, uh, I don't complain about things, uh, not that uh, people with disabilities do, but you, I'm not telling you, oh, I feel lousy today, even though I may be very tired. You might not have known that I have MS, but a person with MS is more than likely working. Uh, hopefully it's a full-time job, maybe less than that because of the, the disease. But it's difficult to explain to an employer why you might need to rest during the middle of the day when you don't look like you're sick. So I try and give um, people who have any need to know about MS, um, an idea of what the symptoms are like, um, both in the book and in my column, I frequently write about uh, people's experiences with MS, uh, their difficulties in dealing um, with family or partners at home uh, or dealing with it in the workplace. Uh, There are more than 20 disease-modifying therapies available um, to treat MS right now. Uh, And they can be very difficult to, to understand. Some are pills, some are shots, some are infusions. Um, each has its own benefit and each treatment has its own uh, level of risk. Um, And people can be confused about that. So I try and help them. Uh, We have a problem uh, certainly here in the United States uh, with not having um, the ability to spend a lot of time with our doctors. Doctors under our healthcare system may spend only 10 or 15 minutes with a patient. uh, And there's a lot of communication that needs to be done between patient and physician uh, in that short period of time. It's not enough time to get all of the information that an MS patient may need to get. So I try and supplement uh, 
what healthcare providers are able to uh, give to their patients um, with more in-depth knowledge from the view of a layman, not from the view of a, a healthcare professional, but as someone who has, uh, who has dealt with that. Uh, I talk about and write about using canes and braces and scooters and walkers and having to get over the hump of accepting uh, the need for that and sharing how great it is once you accept that need to be able to get on a scooter and use it and travel all over the world with it. So that's a, um, a small capsule of what I try and do uh, in everything that I do uh, in the MS field. Let's narrow down the conversation a bit and just talk a, a little bit about your book. It came out a couple of years back. It's 16 chapters, I believe, and it's quite comprehensive looking at life from the point of view of, of a patient, I take it. Give us a little bit of a sense of why you wanted to write the book and what your writing process was like. Well, again, it um, is because I thought there was a, a lack of information available, readily available uh, to someone with MS um, through other means. Um, one of the things that prompted uh, my writing of the book was that I think the internet is a very dangerous place to get information. Uh, and in fact, I have a chapter in the book called The Dangerous Doctor Internet. Uh, people go onto the internet, uh, they may share information on an MS Facebook group, for example, and the information may be correct, or it may be partially correct, or it may be totally incorrect. Um, for example, if you go on to one of the MS Facebook groups and you see someone who starts a post with the words, I've heard that, or my sister-in-law told me that, you can almost bet that this is posted by a well-intentioned person who may not know what he or she is talking about. Uh, so that's part of what's in the book. I go into exercise. I found one of the greatest exercises, well, swimming is a great exercise for almost any disability. But for MS in particular, I found that horseback riding, uh, hippotherapy uh, it's called, where you have an actual therapist slash instructor who is uh, working with you on the horse. And after having not been on a horse since I was 11 years old, I got back on one several years ago um, when I was in my late 60s. And it was amazingly uh, useful for both my physical well-being uh, and improving it and my mental well-being. Um, I talk about, uh, not that many people uh, want to hear it from a 73-year-old man, but I talk about relationships and sex um, in the book and uh, in the columns that I write. I also have a separate blog, which is uh, www.themswire.com, which is very similar to what I do for MS News Today. Um, I talk about disclosing MS. I talk about ways of talking with a physician so that you can get the most out of your time um, with that doctor that uh, you're meeting with. I talk about the 
controversy over viruses and vaccines and MS, uh, which is particularly uh, relevant now uh, with the COVID vaccine. Uh, and there is not only a reluctance, the general reluctance that unfortunately so many people have to getting that vaccine, but within the MS community, there is an interaction between the vaccines, um, virus fighting capabilities, and the virus attacking capabilities of some of the MS treatments that we use. So all of this is information that people need are not always getting it from the healthcare system itself. We have a few minutes left, so I'm going to try and squeeze in one last question. You've had 40 years of experience in the media. You've done so many things in those 40 years. How do you feel the media covers issues around disability? Have you seen a change, especially if you want to talk about MS and the coverage around MS? Do you think we've managed to shift the conversation in terms of the the coverage of disability issues in mainstream media? No, not in mainstream media. I think that disabilities are covered uh, fairly well in the um, traditional but siloed group of um, media entities that uh, are focused on healthcare. Um, I don't think the, the general mainstream media, the, the television networks, the newspapers, the, uh, the local radio and television stations do a great job of covering um, disability in general because it's generally a, uh, when you, uh, I, I see an assignment desk person saying, well, you know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. What are we going to add to this? Uh, and usually if uh, a disability is the uh, cookie cutter, uh, this person is, valiantly fighting um, their disease. Uh, They may have lost their house because of this, and let's uh, start a GoFundMe campaign. But it doesn't get into the the realities of living with the disease. It's very difficult to do, and that's why I mentioned the Crip Camp uh, documentary, because there is a media form that gets disabilities because the documentary about people with disabilities was uh, shot and uh, written by people with disabilities. So they really get it. And don't, but don't get me started on the mainstream media these days uh, and how it compares with uh, 10 or 15 years ago in its general news coverage, because you'd need another Yeah, and unfortunately, we're just about out of time now. So, Ed, thank you very much for joining us on The Pulse and sharing some of your thoughts with us today. It was a delight. I appreciate the invitation. That was Ed Tobias, and you can find some of his writing on MSWire.com, or you can also pick up his book wherever you get your eBooks. You can always find the podcast for this show on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I'd like to thank Ed Tobias for being my guest today. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is the technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio, and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.